Hello and welcome to the reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Tuesday, February 27, 2024. I'm your reader, Bill Petrosky. In area news headlines, officials say more than $524,000 of Dubuque County federal funds allotted to Dyersville believed to be stolen. Dubuque County officials said today they are investigating what they believe to be the theft of $524,284 in federal money the county allotted to a City of Dyersville project, the payment of which was intercepted. County officials announced the missing funds after a closed session meeting of the Dubuque County Board of Supervisors on Monday, but shared little else due to the investigation still being open. The funds, which come from the county's Federal American Rescue Plan allotment, recently were transferred by Dubuque County to the city of Dyersville, but never arrived. The Dubuque County Sheriff Department and the County Auditor's Office learned of the theft when Dyersville officials asked for the status of the transfer. A press release from County Auditor Kevin Dragato issued uh, yesterday states that an internal review determined that the city of Dyersville email system, quote, had been compromised. Emails were sent to Dubuque County officials from an official City of Dyersville email address requesting payment of ARPA funds, the release dates. Through this correspondence, an invoice payment of $524,283 was made by ACH transfer to the City of Dyersville, which we believe was orchestrated by a third party. The release states that the auditor's office and other county offices reported the incident to the Dubuque County Sheriff's Department and are cooperating with law enforcement. The release states that no further information currently is available. BizBuzz, Bellevue Bar opens at Poplar Hangout Spot. Dubuque Salon rounds out renovation. Southwest Wisconsin Inn finds new owners. Column by Grace Nyland, grace.nyland at thmedia.com. BizBuzz shares business tidbits from the tri-state area. This edition highlights developments in Bellevue, Iowa, Dubuque, and Potosi, Wisconsin. A former Bellevue restaurant is finding new life with the recent opening of a bar in the well-known Riverfront Building. The tavern recently opened at Potter's Mill, 300 Potter Drive. The bar offers a variety of draft beers and hand-mixed cocktails, as well as a menu of simple snacks. We wanted to bring something back to the Bellevue community, said operator Ellen Herman. The whole idea was to create a cozy, rustic gathering place where people could drink, have some snacks, and just relax. Potter's Mill previously housed Flatted Fifth Blues and BBQ, a barbecue restaurant owned and operated by Ellen's parents, Mark and Rachel Herman. The couple bought the building in 2014 and operated the restaurant until their retirement late last year. Flatted Fifth closed on New Year's Day after a robustly attended farewell celebration. Ellen Herman worked at the restaurant as a bartender and said it was clear how much this space meant to restaurant regulars and other community members. The tavern is a way to continue that legacy, she said, while also pursuing her own entrepreneurial interests. There's a great sense of comfort in being able to start this business in a space that's familiar to me, but where I can still be able to branch into my own ideas, Herman said. Herman hopes to add a small menu of soups, sandwiches, and other small dishes to the bar's offering. She also plans to add a game room with a pool table, dartboard, and other activities. She hopes to involve the surrounding community, too, by hosting fundraisers, musical performances, and other community events. Already, several tri-state area beers are available for added local flavor. We're slowly building up the business, but we're hoping for a bright future, Herman said. The tavern is open 5 p.m. until closed Fridays and Saturdays. Updates and additional information 
on the business are available at the Tavern at Potter's Mill Facebook page. Dubuque Salon rounds out renovation. Dubuque Salon is celebrating four decades in business with a fresh new look. DesignWorks Salon and Spa recently completed a full-scale renovation at its longtime location at 3385 Asbury Road. The project came with the top-to-bottom improvements that included replacing the flooring, redoing the ceiling, and completing myriad upgrades in between. We just hit a really big milestone this year, 40 years in business, and we wanted to elevate what we had and have here to create an inviting luxury service area for our existing clients and our newer visitors, said co-owner Jerrica Hartman. DesignWorks offers a variety of beauty services, including hair, skin, and nail care. The salon is operated out of Asbury location for most of its 40-year tenure, Hartman said. The last serious remodel was approximately 20 years ago. The most recent renovation focused on increasing efficiency as well as improving the overall atmosphere. An additional shampoo bowl has been added, as well as extra space for manicures. The shampoo bowl setups also were replaced with Italian massage chairs that lay customers flat with the bowl instead of having them crane their heads back to have their hair washed. It's a lot less pressure on the neck, Hartman said. When we tried them out, we knew immediately that we had to have them. Renovation took about a month, during which the salon operated out of a temporary location on Center Grove Drive. The salon has now returned to its Asbury Road location and is open Monday through Saturday. Appointments can be scheduled online at designworkspa.com or by calling 563-588-1332. Additional updates on the business and a planned reopening celebration can be found on the DesignWorks Facebook page. Southwest Wisconsin Inn under new ownership. A Southwest Wisconsin Inn is under new ownership. A couple, Cole Brandt and Mackenzie Yoakum, recently purchased the Potosi Inn at 102 North Main Street. The five-room inn is situated on the second level of the downtown building housing Twisted Vines Pub and Eatery. The inn is also located near several other local amenities, including Whispering Bluffs Winery, Potosi Brewing Company, and several nature trails. It's a nice little hidden gem brand set of the inn. It's close to a lot of the local activities and a lot of great places to eat or just get outside and relax. Brandt and Yoakum are travel fanatics and have stayed in a variety of short-term lodgings across the Midwest. When the Potosian went up for sale, Brandt said it seemed like an opportunity to put those experiences to good use. Each of the inn's five rooms has its own bedroom and bathroom, and four are equipped with a small kitchen and seating area. The rooms are available for short-term or long-term stays depending on a visitor's needs. We've seen construction workers here for various projects or traveling nurses who are here for a few months, Brandt said. There's definitely that longer-term option because it's almost like a little apartment. Milcom said both she and Brandt have experience working in the service industry at area bars, restaurants, and supper clubs. The jump to another sector of the hospitality industry seemed like a no-brainer, she said, as well as an opportunity to further connect with the Grant County community. It's all about treating people how you want to be treated, she said. We've stayed at so many Airbnbs or hotels over the years, and we want to treat our visitors with the same experience we'd like to receive. Booking is now open for the Potosi Inn. It can be completed online at thepotosiinn.com or by calling 563-581-2120. Additional information also is available on the Potosi Inn Facebook page. Business Tip Saw. Do you have an interesting story idea or news tip to share about a local business? Ideas can be shared with business reporter Grace Nyland at grace.nyland at thmedia.com 
or by calling her at 563-588-5647. Platteville Spring Cleanup set for April 8th and 9th. Dateline Platteville, Wisconsin. Platteville's annual citywide spring cleanup will be held April 8th, 9th. Items can't may will be picked up the same day as a resident's normal refuse collection, according to an online announcement. The service is open to one and two family dwellings only. The announcement states that items must be placed neatly at the curb by 7 a.m. on that day of pickup. Items must be stacked neatly in a pile no larger than 10 feet by 4 feet. Scrap metal should be stacked neatly separate from other refuse. Scrap metal and yard waste does not count toward the maximum size limit. Items that will not be picked up include batteries and tires, appliances, including microwaves, refuse from major construction and remodeling projects, oil, antifreeze, insecticides, and hazardous materials. Boy Scout Troop 82 will collect appliances for a donation. Please call 608-778-0707 and leave a message to arrange an appliance pickup. Electronics will not be picked up. Call Flaherty Recycling at 608-348-9586 for information on an electronics pickup. Dyersville Library launches annual basket fundraising event. Dateline Dyersville, Iowa. James Kennedy Public Library in Dyersville has launched its annual Build-A-Basket fundraising event. Organizations, businesses, and individuals create a basket of items that go together and donate it to the library. Baskets will be placed on display as they arrive. Bids can be placed in person at the library at 320 1st Avenue East or by calling the library at 563-875. 8912 or by emailing librarian at dyersville.lib.ia.us. A silent auction for the baskets will be held throughout March. The bidding will end promptly at 3 p.m. March 24th. Proceeds support library collections and services. Dubuque sets multiple records for high temperatures. Monday's unseasonably warm weather broke Dubuque high temperature records both for February 26th and the entire month. Officials with the Quad Cities Office of the National Weather Service said the temperature in Dubuque was 72 degrees as of just before 4 p.m. The previous record for February 26 was 62 degrees set in 1896. Meanwhile, the previous record high temperature for any day in the month of February was 71 degrees set on February 22, 2017. Other Iowa cities also broke high temperature records for Monday's date, including Cedar Rapids and Burlington. The warm temperatures are expected to be short-lived, however. Meteorologist John Hasey said high temperatures for today again will approach 70 degrees, but then a strong cold front will cause low temperatures to, quote, plummet to 15 degrees tonight in Dubuque. Then on Wednesday, the high is only about 27, he said. That there's a tremendous change back to winter again, but that lasts only a couple days because by the time we get to next week, we're well into the 60s again. Dyersville site to host caregiver support group. Dateline Dyersville, Iowa. Drop-in caregiver support group meeting will be held next week in Dyersville. The meeting will be held from 3 to 4 p.m. March 7th at Ellen Kennedy Living Center on 1777th Street Southwest. The support group is intended for anyone who is caring for a loved one with a chronic illness. Registration is not required. 2022 Ag Census Area Sees Big Swings in Agricultural Production. Story by Benjamin Fisher, Benjamin.Fisher at THMedia.com. A recently released federal report shows shifts in the dry state area's agricultural production of both crops and livestock and the financial impacts of that production. Overall, the U.S. Department of Agriculture's 2022 Census of Agriculture 
shows swaths of area farmland switching from livestock production to crop ground, especially for corn amid growing demand from the biofuels industry. But area counties produce more, diff- more of different types of livestock while abandoning others altogether. Agriculture continued to be a huge business in the tri-state area, with area counties selling an estimated $3.57 billion worth of agricultural products in 2022. That was up by more than $1 billion from the 2017 total for Clayton, Delaware, Dubuque, and Jackson counties in Iowa, Grand Lafayette counties in Wisconsin, and Joe Davis County in Illinois. Most of that increase was in crops, of which the region sold $1.62 billion worth in 2022, up from ni- nearly $916 million in 2017. Livestock sales generated more total income in the area, but saw a smaller increase in value, $1.95 billion in 2022, up from $1.6 billion in 2017. Dubuque County Farm Bureau President Wayne Kramer said the shifts in agricultural production detailed in the federal census were what he would expect mostly stemming from the transition of farm operations from older generations to younger. A lot of people got out of the milking business, for instance, he said. On a lot of the farms with 120 cows or less, their kids wanted to change. All the kids' friends didn't have to work seven days a week, so they didn't want to either. So some of them were buying feeder cows and just finishing out on the land. A lot of them switched to just grain. Some of them rented it out. Some of them just sold it. The number of milk cows on area farms dropped in every local county from 2017 to 22 and by 3,737 in Dubuque County alone. Meanwhile, total area crop ground land grew by 5,139 acres from 2017 to 2022. From 2017 to 2022, 98 more farms grew crops in the tri-state area. The number is impacted by decreases in farms growing crops in southwestern Wisconsin. 212 fewer in Grant County, 97 fewer in Lafayette County. Both of which saw big drops in farmland generally. In Dubuque County, 166 more farms grew crops. In Delaware County, 135 more farms grew crops. In Clayton County, 100 more farms grew crops. Grain and corn continued to dominate the crops grown in the area, accounting for 49% of total cropland in 2022, while 51,000 fewer acres for area cropland grew corn. In 2022, then in 2017, farmers grew 925,920 acres of corn for grain in 2022. Delaware County grew the most grain corn, 194,000 acres in 2022, down 21,617 acres from 2017. Worthington, Iowa farmer Gary Lars Lars said he previously raised small heads of hogs and beef cattle on his farm to supplement grain. But with the boom in biofuels, he quickly converted to 100% corn and soybean production, which he has maintained for years. Once that gave us the new market, it was hard to say no, he said. If you want to make a profit on your farm, you didn't have much choice. All that acreage yielded 198.9 million acres of grain corn in 2022, an increase of 41.12 million bushels from 2017, Delaware County produced the area's most at 43.2 million bushels. Counties that produced less corn often saw a big increase in hog production. Delaware County produced 105,000 more hogs in 22 than in 2017. But pork production was up in most counties. Butte County sold 78,864 more hogs. The changes coincided with a reduction of long-standing heritage in industries such as milk cows. The area produced 119,432 milk cows 
In 2022, the number dropped in most counties, though Jackson County produced 3,737 more milk cows than in 2017. Beef cattle production changes from 2017 to 2022 varied by county. Clayton County produced 3,000 fewer beef cattle, for instance, while Delaware County produced 2,000 more. Net income up. Altogether, these changes increase net farm income to the tri-state area by $538 million in 2022 over 20 over five years prior, reaching $117.117 billion. Still, Grant County farmer Alan Johnson said production costs up by $452 million across the area from over the past five that five-year period has skyrocketed which he credited to there being fewer smaller arms in the area. In per acre profit, we're not making near as much, he said. Simple arithmetic tells you you're making less per acre. While production expenses and net incomes are impacted by different combinations of variables, production expenses were highest in counties with the highest amount of fertilizer added, as fertilizer costs have risen starkly from 2017 to 2022. Fertilizer application was highest in counties with the lowest rates of conservation practices, including no-till and cover crops, which have shown, been shown to reduce the need for added fertilizer, as well as to improve soil health and reduce nutrient runoff. Manchester Hospital to host Women's Night event May 1. Dayline Manchester, Iowa Regional Medical Center will hold an event for women in the community this spring. The hospital's Women's Night event will be held from 5.30 to 8 p.m. May 1 at Delaware County Fair, 200 East Acer Street, according to an online announcement. The event will include two speakers and is made possible by support from the fundraising of the Edco, Starmont, and West Delaware High School volleyball teams. Registration is not required. Unofficial says strike at ED Nitrogen Plant to end the following passage of contract proposal. East Dubuque, story by Eric Hostrom, teachmedia.com. East Dubuque, Illinois, an official for United Law, for a local United Auto Workers chapter, said the strike against an East Dubuque fertilizer plant has ended after 129 days. Doug Glab, president of UAW Local 1391, said the strike against East Dubuque Nitrogen Fertilizers, LLC, ended with a union membership vote Saturday to accept a proposed contract agreement. We met with the company on Wednesday and they proposed an offer for us to take to our membership to vote on. On Saturday, we had our vote and the contract passed. Glab said union members will return to work March 4. I can't go into a lot of details on the contract, but this contract worked for both sides, Glab said. I'm pleased with the outcome. The strike began October 18th. The union represents 94 workers at the facility, about 60% of the plant's more than 150 employer employees based on employment numbers from Greater Dubuque Development Corporation. Union members previously said they were seeking a contract that would include a company guarantee to maintain a 401k employer match or at least a requirement that the company show proof of hardship before taking away that benefit. East Dubuque Nitrogen Fertilizers, which makes products such as anhydrous ammonia, nitric acid, and liquid urea, opened in 1965 and is operated under several names and owners. Texas-based fertilizer manufacturing company CVR Partners has owned it since 2016. In an email, CVR Senior Director of Corporate and Governmental Affairs Brandee Stevens confirms that, quote, the parties reached an agreement to sell a strike and the contract, and that the union had ratified the agreement on Saturday. In December, CVR Partners executives alleged the local 
UAW Local 1391 community leaders bargain in bad faith leading CVR partners to file charges with the National Labor Relations Board. The NLRB reported that two unfair labor practice charges were filed by ECBUC Nitrogen Fertilizers and its legal representatives against the union and its legal representatives. Both charged the union with a, quote, refusal to bargain and bad faith or surface bargaining. Those charges will be dropped as part of the settlement of the contract, Lab said. Lab said he's worked with plant for nearly 17 years. That was the first time I was on strike, he said. I would really like to thank the community for its support. I was just hoping we could come to an offer we could agree on. Love the last adventurous Stockton couple leads charmed life for 69 years together. Story by Michelle London at THmedia.com. Dateline State Log, Stockton, Illinois. 16-year-old Darlene Byer was working as a waitress at the only hamburger joint in Stockton in 1952 when she made a fateful decision. A boy came in and said, I'm coming back tonight and I'm taking you home, said Darlene. Now 87, I said, no, you're not. Someone else is. Oh, yeah, who's taking you home, the boy asked. Darlene really didn't have any plans for a ride. She just didn't want to ride with a boy she didn't like. She glanced around the restaurant and pointed at a young man in the corner. He is, she said. While Steffes, who lived across the street from the restaurant, was a 23-year-old Navy veteran who had recently returned from Korea. I was just trying to eat my hamburger, said Walt, now 95, but what the heck, I'll give her a ride. Taking Darlene home from work became a regular ritual. One day, Walt took Darlene to the circus in Freeport. It was her first official date. Darlene grew up as one of seven children on a farm just outside of Woodbine. Walt was an only child who had lost his mother to cancer when he was young. He fell in love with Darlene and her big family. I think he loved my mother's chocolate cake, said the now Darlene Steffes. On Christmas Eve in 1953, Walt bought a box of chocolates and carefully removed the cellophane wrapper and a single chocolate. He replaced the chocolate with a gift for Darlene before wrapping the cellophane back around the block. box. It looked like it had never been opened, Walt said. At the buyer house, Walt insisted Darlene open the box. There, where the chocolate had been, was a diamond engagement ring. I always thought my parents would be mad because Walt was a lot older than me, she said, but they loved him. When my mother Sully got really sick, she didn't call 9-11 or the doctor. She called Walt. The couple married June 20th, 1954 at St. Paul Evangelical Church, Lutheran Church in Elizabeth. After cake and ice cream in the church basement, the Lorenz left in their car for a Wisconsin honeymoon. It had been appropriately decorated for the occasion by Walt's groomsmen, with a few surprises. It was a very hot day. We got down the road and opened the vents to get some air, and hot pepper came spewing out of it every time we hit a bump. We sneezed a lot. When the couple returned from the wedding trip, they settled in Elizabeth in a small rental house provided by Walt's employer, FS Farm Services. There are rats in the basement, Walt said. We used to keep a hammer by the bed. We'd palm hammer on the floor at night so they'd quiet down. We could go back to sleep. Walt eventually bought a gas station in Stockton. His father, Albert, a construction contractor, built a brick home behind the station for his son and daughter-in-law. It was there they raised their two children, Kurt and Lynn Stellick. They also have six grandchildren and 14 great-grandchildren. When self-service stations began to dot the landscape, Walt pivoted and turned the station into Walt's drive-in, where he served burgers and ice cream until he retired in 1991. Darlene retired the same year after working 17 years, at which started as Northwestern Bell and eventually turned into a Verizon. Kurt Averi remembers a childhood filled with hard work and lots of Some of the best memories were of 4-H, which Mom did for a lot of years. We'd enter our baked goods at the fair and the two girls would look at the brownies that had gotten a blue ribbon and ask what those were, whose those were, and they'd point at me and say, his. That was all because my mom was such a good teacher. 
He also remembers learning the ins and outs of running a business with his dad, starting with emptying trash cans at the station every day. When he got home from kindergarten to being a 15-year-old left in charge of the business when his parents took a vacation to South Dakota, or at least they said they were going to South Dakota. Walton made a wrong turn and they ended up in Milwaukee, where they saw a, time, a sign advertising a ferry to Michigan. Darlene commented they had never been on a ferry before, so they drove on board. Then we saw a find that said, see the nickel factory, Walt said. And we said, gosh, we've never been to a nickel factory before. Let's go. So we turned right, and before we knew it, we are in Niagara Falls, New York. Walt and Darlene eventually did call their children. We thought we should let them know we weren't in South Dakota, Darlene said. Adventurous is how they have always been, Kurt said. We're just going to go and do it. Walt and Darlene have traveled across the U.S. and Mexico, including three trips to Alaska. In their RV, they've also traveled to Europe, Russia, Australia, and New Zealand. Walt was a Shriner and a Shriner clown who drove many cars and parades. Darlene made all of his costumes. The pair often gave rides to area children who were receiving treatment at Shriner's Hospital for Children in Chicago, providing round-trip transportation and treating families there to lunch. Walt also was a volunteer firefighter with Stockton Fire Department for over 30 years. He and Darlene remained loyal athletic boosters for Stockton High School long after Kurt and Lynn had graduated. Kurt said he doesn't ever remember being distant from his parents, not even during normally rebellious teen years. I never experienced that at all, he said. I always thought they were the smartest people in the world, and I still do. In 2019, Darlene suffered a stroke and has been living at a nursing home in Carroll. Walt sold the family home and downsized to a smaller living space in Stockton a few years ago. He makes the 40-mile round trip every day to visit his wife. Darlene knows what has kept their marriage strong for almost 40 years. It's almost 70 years. Love. Walt said their life experience had left them with a rich legacy and an undeniably charmed life. We look back at all the places we've been and all the things we've done, especially the things we've done together, he said, and we know we've been truly blessed. No long married couple, Love That Lasts is a series highlighting local couples who have been married at least 50 years. To nominate a couple to be featured in the series, contact reporter Michelle London at 563-588-5655 or email her at michelle.london at thmedia.com. Be sure to include the couple's name, city of residence, contact information, how long the two have been married, and their wedding date. Epworth Market announces 2024 dates, seeks vendors. Epworth, Iowa. Epworth Market has announced its dates for the 2024 season. The market will be held from 4 to 7 p.m. May 8th, June 12th, July 10th, August 14th, September 11th, and October 9th at the Phil Silker Pavilion at Tower Park, according to the city's website. Those interested in being a vendor for the market are asked to fill out a vendor application available online or by visiting Epworth City Hall. Bernard Fireman's Breakfast set for Sunday, Dateline Bernard, Iowa. The annual Bernard Fireman's Breakfast will be held this weekend. The event will be held from 7.30 to 11.30 a.m. Sunday, March 3rd at St. Patrick's Gary Owen Parish Hall. 288-57-46 Avenue near Bernard. The breakfast features ham, sausage, scrambled eggs, hash browns, and cinnamon rolls, along with coffee, juice, and milk, according to an online announcement. The cost is $10 for adults and $5 for children ages 5 to 12. Children 4 and under eat for free. Donations also will be accepted. Joe Davis County among state scop counties for fall turkey harvest. Dateline Galena, Illinois. Joe Davis County ranked among Illinois' highest countywide totals of wild turkeys harvested during the 2023-2024 fall archery turkey season, according to a press release from the Illinois Department of Natural Resources. 
Hunters in the county took 23 turkeys during the season, which ran October 1 through January 14. That total represents five more birds than were harvested during the previous season. The release states that hunters across Illinois took 803 turkeys during the season, up slightly from last year's harvest of 801, and the five-year average of 750 birds harvested. All 102 counties in the state were open for hunting. According to release, the top counties for the fall turkey harvest were Jefferson County with 31 birds, Fayette County and Joe Davis County both with 23, Williamson County with 18 birds, and Ogle County with 17 birds. Dar Storm Spotter trainings planned in Darlington, Dar Lion, Darlington, Wisconsin, a free event next month in Darlington will offer training for the public on how to spot and report severe weather events. The National Weather Service Storm Spotter Training, sponsored by Lafayette County Emergency Management, will take place from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. March 18th at the Lafayette County Ames Multipurpose Building, 11974 Ames Road, according to an online event announcement. During the event, attendees will learn how to safely spot storms, what clouds to watch, how to communicate reports, and what needs to be reported. Presenters also will share information about National Weather Service products and resources. The event is free and open to the public, and pre-registration is not required. Galena Eagles Club to host Meat Paddle Raffle, Dayline, Galena, Illinois. The Galena Eagles Club will host an upcoming Meat Paddle Raffle to benefit a nonprofit. The event will take place at 7 p.m. March 9th at 237 South Main Street in Galena. The raffle, which is open to the public, will include all kinds of meat. Proceeds will benefit Crider Services, an Illinois-based nonprofit that provides direct care programs to people with developmental disabilities. Those interested in donating meats can post a message on the Galena Eagles Facebook page or call the Eagles Club at 815-777-0529. You are listening to the reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Tuesday, February 27, 2024 on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Now let's turn to today's obituaries. Paul R. Risen Jr., Deadline Freeport, Illinois. Paul Richard Risen Jr., 56, of Freeport, Illinois, passed away Friday, February 16, 2024. A private family service will be held at a later date. Paul was born May 19, 1967, in Dubuque, Iowa, the son of Paul Sr. and Karen Drosler Risen. He graduated from East Dubuque High School in 1985. He then enlisted in the Marine Corps. He completed basic training at Camp Pendleton, California, and was stationed in Hawaii with several deployments during his military career. After his military service, he used his GI Bill to attend Highland Community College in Freeport, Illinois, and became a registered nurse. He worked at Singer Mental Health in Rockford, Illinois, and other nursing homes in the Freeport area. During that time, he married Tracy Belkin Dickens, and together they had two children, Tanner and Brianna. Paul had an infectious giggle and loved to tease anyone for a laugh. He loved to go fishing, to watch or listen to the White Sox or tell every Chicago Cubs fan that the Sox were a better team. He was also a Pittsburgh Penguins fan and loved to tease his siblings that they are Chicago Blackhawk fans. He survived by children, Tanner Lexi of Dubuque, Iowa, and their children, Benjamin Ellie with a new baby on the way, and Brianna Christian of Holland, Michigan, his dad Paul, senior of East Dubuque, Illinois, William Bill, recently deceased, Kara of East Dubuque, and their children, and other relatives. He was preceded in death by his mother, Karen Risen, grandparents, William and Pauline Risen, and grandparents, Jerry and Luetta Drosler, joined with his brother, Bill, William Bill Risen. If you know someone who struggles with addiction or mental health, 
seek help or call 988. Online condolences for Paul's family may be left at www.tristatecremationcenter.com. William P. Risen, East Dubuque, Illinois. William F. Bill Risen, 55, of East Dubuque, died Saturday, February 24, 2024. Celebration of life will be held from 3 to 8 p.m. Friday, March 1, at East Dubuque High School, 200 Park Lane in East Dubuque. Miller Funeral Home of East Dubuque is assisting the family. Dennis P. Ryan, St. Louis Park, Minnesota. We are sad to announce the passing of Dennis P. Ryan of St. Louis Park, Minnesota. He previously resided in Dubuque, Iowa for 35 years. He died at age 30, 85 on February 14th, surrounded by his fam loving family, including his wife of 63 years and his four children, their spouses, his grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. He worked for 32 years at John Deere, honoring his request. His life will be celebrated at a pri fam private family service. At a later date, memorial contributions may be directed to the friend, Friends of Hennepin County Library, Excelsior Branch, 300 Nickel, Nicollet Mall, Suite N290, Minneapolis, Minnesota, or Our Lady of Grace Catholic Church Memorial Fund, Eden Ave 5071, Eden Avenue, Adina, Minnesota, and a loving memory of Dennis. Roger B. Starrett, Bloomington, Wisconsin. Roger B. Starrett, 86, Bloomington, died Friday. Visitation would be from 3 to 7 p.m. Friday, March 1 at March 4th Funeral Home and Crematory in Bloomington from 10 to 11 a.m. Saturday, March 2nd at Bible Baptist Church in Prairie du Chien, where services will follow. Burial will be in Dodge Cemetery in B-Town Township. William R. Peak, Dayline, Lancaster, Wisconsin. William R. Peak, A6 of Lancaster, died Friday. The visitation will be from 9 to 11 a.m. Friday, March 1 at Calvary Community Church in Lancaster, where services will follow. Burial will be in Hillside Cemetery in Lancaster. March Schwartz Funeral Home and Crematory of Lancaster is assisting the family. Mary S. Hobble. Mary S. Hobble, 70, of Dubuque, died Saturday. Visitation will be held from 2 to 4 p.m. Friday, March 1, at Leonard Funeral Home and Crematory, 2595 Rockville Road, where services will follow. Ralph A. Maternacht. Dayline Cascade, Iowa. Ralph A. Modernock, 87, of Cascade, died Saturday, February 24th. Arrangements are pending. Wright Funeral Home of Cascade is assisting the family. Here's a look at area funeral services. And Aslan, Dubuque. Visitation 9 to 15 to 10 to 15 a.m. Tuesday, February 27th. St. Columbkill's Catholic Church. Massive Christian Burial, 10.30 a.m. Tuesday at the church. Thomas L. Boyle, Cascade, Iowa, visitation, 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. today, St. Martin's Catholic Church, Cascade, service, 11 a.m. today at the church, Dorlander, Dorland Cliff, Bloomington, Wisconsin, visitation, 9 to 11 a.m. Wednesday, February 28th, Martin Schwartz, Funeral Home and Crematory in Lancaster, service, 11 a.m. Wednesday at the funeral home, Jack A. Edens, Galena, Illinois, visitation, Noon to 3 p.m. Saturday, March 9th, Crossroads Community Church, Galena. Norma Evans, Dubuque, Visitation 9 to 9.30 a.m. Tuesday, February 27th, Martin. Mary Frances Clark Chapel, Mount Carmel Bluffs. Sharing of Memories, 9.30 a.m., followed by Massive Christian Burial. Constance J. Funk, Manchester, Iowa, Visitation 1 to 1.45 p.m. today, St. Mary's Catholic Church, Manchester, Massive Christian Burial, 2 p.m. today at the church. Henry Goldstein, Dubuque, visitation 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Tuesday, February 27th, Eagle Off Secret, Casper Funeral Home, 2659 John F. Kennedy Road, service 1 p.m. Tuesday at the funeral home. 
Memorial Celebration, 11 a.m. Saturday, March 9th, First Baptist Church. Kenneth J. Helley, Dyersville, Iowa. Visitation, 2 to 7 p.m. Wednesday, February 28th, and from 9 to 10 a.m. Thursday, February 29th, Kramer Funeral Home, Dyersville, Massive Christian Burial, 10.30 a.m. Thursday, St. Boniface Catholic Church, New Vienna. Alan J. Henricks, Dubuque. Visitation, 5 to 7 p.m. today, Hoffman Schneider Kitchen Funeral Home, Crematory, 3860 Hasbury Road. Service, 10.30 a.m. Tuesday, Holy Trinity Lutheran Church. Bradley M. Kennedy, Knoxville, Tennessee. Visitation, 9 a.m. to noon today, Kramer Funeral Home, Dyersville, Iowa. Service, 10, 12.30 p.m. today, St. Francis Xavier Basilica, Dyersville. Eileen Leland, Dubuque. Visitation, 10 to 11 a.m. Saturday, March 9th, St. Luke's United Methodist Church. Memorial Service, 11 a.m., March 9th at the church. Nicholas R. Lucy Dubuque. Visitation, 3 to 7 p.m. Thursday, February 29th, and from 9.30 to 10.15 a.m. Friday, March 1, St. Raphael Cathedral. Service, 10.30 a.m. Friday at the church. Mary Sue McAllister, Banks and Iowa. Visitation after 8.30 a.m. today, Rife Funeral Home, Farley. Service, 10 a.m. today, St. Clement's Catholic Church, Bankston. Leon J. Mullis, Dyersville, Iowa. Visitation, 3 to 8 p.m. today and from 9 to 10.30 a.m. Tuesday, February 27th, Kramer Funeral Home, Dyersville. Service, 11 a.m. Tuesday, St. Francis Xavier Basilica, Dyersville. Patricia A. Nauman, Dubuque, Massive Christian Burial, 10.30 a.m. today, St. Peter and Paul Catholic Church, Cheryl, Iowa. Mary Kent Pearson, Cincinnati, Wisconsin, Wicked Funeral Mass, 10 a.m., Wednesday, February 28th, St. Joseph Church, Hazel Green. Eileen Rapp, Dubuque, Visitation, 9 to 11 a.m. today, St. Raphael Cathedral, Service, 11 a.m. today at the church. Harold D. Schaffer, Dubuque, Visitation, 2 to 5.45 p.m., Wednesday, February 28th, Bear Funeral Home, 1491 Main Street, Service, 6 p.m., Wednesday at the funeral. Karen a. Stan, Dubuque, Visitation 9 to 10 a.m. Saturday, March 2nd, First Presbyterian Church. Service 10 a.m. Saturday at the church. Anna M. Stelpflug, Dickieville, Wisconsin. Visitation 9 to 10.30, 11. 9 to 11.30 a.m. today. Casey McNack Funeral Home and Cremation Services. Cuba City, Mass of Christian Burial. Noon today, Holy Ghost Catholic Church, Dickiesville. Dick Eville. Edmund J. Walu Dubuque, Mass of Christian Burial, 10.30 a.m. today, Holy Ghost Catholic Church. Here's another obituary, Nicholas R. Lucy. Nicholas R. Lucy, 84 of Dubuque, passed away on his birthday, February 16th. Visitation will be from 3 to 7 p.m. Thursday, February 29th, and at from 9.30 to 10.15 a.m. Friday, March 1 at St. Raphael's Cathedral. Funeral services will be at 10.30 a.m. Friday, March 1 at the church with Reverend Dennis Quint officiating. The service will be live-streamed at www.eaglehoffsegertcasper.com. Full military honors will be accorded by American Legion Post 6 of Dubuque, the East Dubuque Drum and Bugle Corps, and the United States Navy. Nicholas was born February 16, 1942, William, Bill, and Loretta McHale, Lucy, in the mining town of Leadville, Colorado, but grew up in East Dubuque, Illinois, along the Mississippi River. The second oldest of five children, he lost his dad when he was just 14. He graduated from East Dubuque High School in 1957, where he's a multi-sport athlete and played trumpet in the marching band. 
enlisted in the Navy at age 17, serving one year in the Naval Reserves and four years on active duty in the Pacific aboard the submarine USS Medrigal. Medrigal. Upon discharge, he spent several months hitchhiking in the West Pacific Northwest, visiting family and making new friends. He then became a staff sergeant in the Air Force in Cheyenne, Wyoming, from 1962 63, where he trained in communications. When he returned home, he began a 40-year career as a telephone technician for Northwestern Bell, and he was a proud union member of CWA Local 7110. He was united in marriage to Linda German Lucy on November 26, 1977, in Des Moines. Nick was always involved in local community, volunteering, and serving a wide variety of organizations, a trade he passed on to his five children. Some of the organizations he was involved with included American Legion Post 6, where he served as commander in 1985, ran their annual oratorical contest, and served on their state legislative committee for years. A bugler since he was young, he marched and played in the East Dubuque Drum and Bugle Corps for 69 years, as well as being a member of the American Legion Funeral Detail for over 50 years, playing taps at thousands of veterans' funerals. Nick's other involvement in the Dubuque community involved work at the Rescue Mission, Art Museum, Salvation Army, VFW, Telephone Pioneers, Camera Club, Dubuque Federation of Labor, and he was a proud, long-standing member of the Democratic Party in Dubuque. Photography was a lifelong passion beginning at age 15 when he purchased his first brownie camera. He was also an artist who worked in pastels, watercolors, and charcoal, and he loved coloring Easter eggs and carving pumpkins with grandkids. He was a great cook and loved to garden. He enjoyed canoeing, swimming, golfing, and being a lifelong learner. He traveled with his wife, Linda, to Australia, Japan, Taiwan, South Korea, the United Kingdom, France, and Mexico, and with her last adventure being the last cruise in August 2023, and he loved spirited discussions. He is survived by his wife of 46 years, Linda, children, Laura, David, Lucy, McLan of Macon, Georgia, Eric, Linda, Lucy of Dubuque, Christine, Lucy of Wheeling, Illinois, Keith, Annette, Lucy of Dubuque, and Melissa, German of Dubuque, many grandchildren and other relatives. In Little Flowers, a Nicholas Lucy Memorial Fund has been established where contributions will be distributed to his favorite charitable community organizations. His family extends a most heartfelt thank you to everyone for the wonderful support given during this difficult time. Your kindness and compassion will never be forgotten. The Gohoff Secret and Casper Funeral Home and Crematory is entrusted with arrangements. Looking at other area news headlines, Dubuque Library to host Bad Art Event. Dubuque's library celebrates bad art with a free workshop next week. Bad Art Night will be held from 4 to 5.30 p.m. Tuesday, March 5th at Carnegie Stock Public Library, 360 West 11th Street, according to an online announcement. The program is open to ages 10 to 15. Participants will make bad art with the worst art winning the trophy. Registration is required and can be made online at tinyurl.com slash cspl.badart. In area crime news, authorities say a man leads law enforcement on chase in Dubuque. Authorities said a man observed driving more than 90 miles per hour on a Dubuque street led law enforcement on a chase last week. Cody J. Brem, 43 of Durango, Iowa, was arrested at 8.47 a.m. Monday at the Dubuque Law Enforcement Center on a warrant charging eluding. Court documents state that an Iowa patrol trooper observed a vehicle speeding on the Northwest Arterial shortly before 3 p.m. February 18th, the clock, radar clock of the vehicle traveling 92 miles an hour. The trooper activated emergency lights, at which time the speeding vehicle accelerated toward the intersection of John F. Kennedy Road, documents state. The vehicle drove around multiple other vehicles before proceeding on to JFK. The trooper pursued the vehicle before losing sight of it near 
Baroni Drive, documents state. The vehicle was identified as being registered to Bream. A police officer in the area at the time, time of the chase identified the driver, driver as Bream, documents state. Here's a look at area law enforcement reports. The Dubuque Police and Dubuque County Sheriff's Department reported the following. Brian A. Banks, 43, no permanent address, was arrested at 2.50 a.m. Monday in the 1400 block of Central Avenue on charges of second-degree harassment, public intoxication, and interference with official acts. James A. Hancock of 513 Garfield Avenue, number 106, was arrested at 5.15 p.m. Sunday at his residence on a charge of assault with intent to cause pain or injury. Dubuque man found not guilty for sex crime charges. A jury has found a Dubuque man not guilty of sexually abusing a minor. Donald C. Fessler, 55, of Dubuque, previously was charged in Iowa District Court of Dubuque with enticing a minor under the age of 16 for sexual purposes and saw with intent to commit sexual abuse. A jury this month found him not guilty of both charges. Court documents state Fessler was accused of making inappropriate contact with a girl under the age of 16, whom he knew at a Dubuque residence in December. Manchester Council hires consultant for police chief search. Story by Jake Bourgeois, Manchester Press. Manchester, Iowa, Manchester City Council members recently approved an agreement to assist in the hiring of the city's new police chief. With Manchester Police Chief Jim Hauschild set to retire at the end of May, the council wanted to get the search process going as soon as possible. I want to get started because Jim's retiring May 31, and that's going to hit us faster than we think, city manager Tim Vick said. Vic proposed, based on recommendations he received for other communities of recently undergone police searches, that the city hire Jeff Kaler of Kaler Consultancy LLC. He is a law enforcement veteran in the business of helping municipalities with similar searches. With the specialty skills that we need to have as a chief, I want someone that has knowledge and ability to recruit chiefs, he said. For Kaler's proposal, he helped develop and place ads come up with a profile after interviewing local officials. The police department and community leaders review applications, conduct reference and background checks, and assist with the offer of employment. Should someone be hired from out of state, Kaler also has the ability to conduct, to conduct testing needed to get their Iowa certifications. Kaler proposed multiple ways he could pay for his services. First was bills at an hourly rate of $150 capped at $15,000 plus expenses. The fee for this process would be, quote, largely influenced by the number of candidates Kaler said in his proposal. The other option would be to bill a flat fee of $13,000 plus expenses. The council members voted to go with the hourly rate with higher cap, which they felt would better ensure they were paying fairly for the work done throughout the process. Here is a newspaper correction. The online version of Dubuque, the Encyclopedia by Randy Lyon, was created in 2008 during Dubuque's 175th anniversary. A story on page 2A Saturday listed an incorrect date. Golden Girls Tribute Show Coming to Dubuque A stage show that pays tribute to a popular sitcom is coming to Dubuque this spring. Golden Girls Laughs continually perform May 9th at Five Flags Theater. The venue announced Monday. Shows like, unlike any other Golden Girls tribute the release states. The script by Robert Laloux imagines what the classic carriers of Dorothy, Blanche, Rose, and Sophia would be doing today from meeting new lovers to running a drug ring for retirees. Cast includes Ryan Pernier as Dorothy, Vince Kelly as Blanche, Adam Graber as Rose, Christopher Cam as Sophia, and Jason Bowen as Stanley Bird. Tickets start at $32 and will be available beginning Friday, March 1 at TechPickMaster.com. A special VIP add-on experience includes photos with the actors on the Golden Girls set after the show. 
Dubuque to start accepting applications for City of Life program. The City of Dubuque soon will begin accepting applications for a City of Life program, which offers a series of free interactive sessions on local government. The six in-person sessions run from 6 to 9 p.m. on Thursday evenings, April 11th, 18th, 25th, and May 2nd, 9th, and 16th, a press release states. Participants will learn more about city operations and services through behind-the-scenes tours, presentations, and conversations with their neighbors. The release states dinner is provided. Applications will start March 4 and are due by March 29th. To apply for the program, go to City of Dubuque org slash city life or contact community cities community engagement coordinator Temwa Fury at area code 563-589-4180. The Buke School Board hears update on preschool center strategic plan process. Joined by Elizabeth Kelsey Elizabeth.kelsey at thmedia.com. The Buke Community Schools leaders have selected a name for the district's new preschool center. As design and construction work continues ahead of the facility's plan of fall opening. At a strategic plan update session Monday, school board members unanimously approved the name Seedlings Preschool Center for the program, which will be located in the building at 7900 Chavanel Road. District Communications Chief Communications Officer Mike Size said officials sought feedback from early childhood staff across the district in determining the name. We believe this will help our build affinity with the students and families who are there, he said. District officials also shared updated designs for the facility, including concepts for its playground with its board members. Seedlings Preschool Center will provide space for up to 10 classrooms, though the district will still maintain one preschool classroom at each of its elementary schools. The center will span up about 15,000 square feet of the Chavanel Road building, which also houses Dubuque Y Early Learning Center and a planned 9-11 operations center shared by the City of Dubuque and Dubuque County. Executive Director of Elementary Education, Lisa Tabakhorus said plans for the playground include a play structure, green space, walking track, climbing wall, musical instruments, and a rubberized surface to make the space accessible for all students. The playground incorporates fine motor skills, gross motor skills, and imaginative play. Tabakhorus said the district seeks to hire five classroom teachers and a secretary for the launch of the preschool center. As enrollment grows, more staff will be added to fill out the rest of the classrooms. Board members expressed enthusiasm for the designs and the center's pro- progress. Board members on Monday also discussed the district's long-term process for creating a new strategic plan, which began earlier this year. It looks incredible already from what we can tell, and I'm excited to see what it looks like when it's done, said Board President Kate Parks. This current strategic plan, approved in 2018, originally was intended to sunset at the end of 2022-2023 school year. However, the board decided to extend it by one year, given that Superintendent Amy Hawkins had completed only one year in her position at the time. At a meeting earlier this month, board members discussed the, the district's mission and vision statements and board values. On Monday, size presented an updated list of values which was met by with board approval. We spent a considerable amount of time on this, trying to make language use have a warmer, more student-focused tone, Park said. I really like the way these are rewritten, and I like the emphasis on individuality, diversity, and relationships. Hawkins said the district officials now meet with stakeholders, including administrators, staff, parent-teacher organizations, and the district school improvement leadership team to seek input on what action steps should be included in the new plan. District officials hope to present the completed plan to the board for approval in May. Epworth City Worker named Regional Operator of the Year. Dale Line, Epworth, Iowa. 
the Northeast Iowa Region of Water Environment Association named Ronnie Kramer of Epworth its operator of the year for his work in the city's wastewater operation. Kramer has been with the city of Epworth for nearly 35 years in the Public Works Department, overseeing not only wastewater but water and streets as well. The recommendation for the award comes from inspectors from the Iowa Department of Natural Resources Field Officer Office in Manchester. Possible recipients were reviewed by the region director as well as the region's president and vice president who all made visits to facilities under consideration last summer. As part of the award, Kramer received a one-year free membership to the National Water Environment Federation for Professional Development. Here's a letter to the editor. This is from Donna Bowerly of River Ridge Street in Dubuque. Letter says, Lucy shared his gifts with all veterans. My favorite memory of Nick Lucy takes me back to the old Prescott playground. Early one sunny morning, I stood with Nick under the lone tree on that storied playground, now long raised, as he told me how hard he was trying to save that one spot of shade for the students. Truly an iconic memory because it was typical of how Nick and Linda both cared for Earth and all of us aboard it. Thanks, Nick. I will always remember you when I hear taps. You played in endless places for us. All veterans of your personal care. Our world is better because you still grace our lives. Day is done, gone the sun, from the hills, from the lake, from the skies. And there, the rest of this poem is also. Here's a column from Amy Gilligan, Telegraph Herald Executive Director. It's headline, Gilligan, join me for a conversation with Kurt. For nearly a quarter of a century at the Telegraph Herald, I've been fielding calls, emails, and handwritten notes from readers who want to express their enthusiasm for writer Kurt Ulrich. Columnist from Earl Jackson County, Iowa, Kurt has been penning a slightly quirky meandering and pointing columns for the TH for almost 25 years. Fans have long requested a collection of Kurt's work, and recently we talked him into allowing us to produce a 60-page magazine and the columns and photos he has taken, mostly from his corner of the natural world. He agreed to it with the caveat that proceeds go to a local charitable or to a charitable cause. We decided on the local journalism support fund at the Community Foundation of Greater Dubuque, where your tax-deductible donation will go to support journalism positions in our newsroom. On Saturday, March 2nd, we'll offer the opportunity to meet with Kurt. Join us at 11 a.m. at Carnegie Scout Public Library, 360 West 11th Street, where Kurt will discuss notes from rural America. The event is free and open to the public. And that does it for today's reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Tuesday, February 27, 2024. I'm your reader, Bill Petrosky. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. Thank you for listening. <music>